absolute honor to be here this evening, um, especially to see the room full as it is. I'm, uh, I, I was actually uh, here 13 years ago when I did the course that they mentioned, the Masters in African Studies. Uh, I was at St. Cross. I did it at St. Cross, and so the, the connections are just endless here this evening. Um, but it's my absolute pleasure to, to talk about my topic this evening, which is um, reflecting on, on some of the failures that I've had and some of the work that we've done in uh, healthcare in different bits of Africa, um, and on the sense that Africa works. Um, and so moving on, anyone been to Dunin? Looks like it's in kind of a Monaco, looks like it's on the south of France or Biarritz or something like that, doesn't it? It's the west coast of Scotland and it doesn't look like this. It's usually like shades of grey and brown, but it's where I'm from. Um, and I'm immensely proud to come from there, but it isn't a very multicultural place. I didn't grow up in a kind of uh, multicultural milieu with lots of experience of other people from different parts of the world around me. Instead, I grew up in a quite um, insulated place. Um, and so most of my understandings of Africa were from um, the news. And um, being as old as I am, ancient, um, I grew up in the 90s, and my, my, my dad was a big consumer of news programs. So 6 o'clock news, 7 o'clock news, news night, um, or question time, all of these things I watched lots of. And unfortunately, during that period in um, Africa, there was, of course, lots of wars, um, famine, Rwanda, lots of uh, devastating events. Um, and it was from these that I accrued my kind of rough image of, of what Africa was. Um, and of course, seeing lots of heroic journalists and uh, health humanitarians working against that backdrop, I thought, yeah, that looks exciting. And from my perspective in the west coast of Scotland with the rain coming down, it seemed like a very kind of uh, interesting and satisfying career to pursue. So that was how I started out. And about 10 years later, I found myself in uh, Kamakupa uh, on the Plano Alto working for Médecins Sans Frontières or Médicos Sin Fronteras as they are there. Um, I had many, many technical challenges when I was there. In anything that I say here, I don't mean to, to lessen or, or uh, look past the technical challenges that we have working in, in uh, places like that. Um, there was um, a massive cholera outbreak. There was uh, Marburg, a, a viral hemorrhagic fever, very much like Ebola. Um, there were uh, drug-resistant TB and lots and lots of malaria and malnutrition and things like that. So there were lots of technical challenges. Um, and in many ways, that was, that was the kind of test that I was looking for. But much to my surprise, I also made very good friends. We went for beers. We went for um, kazumba. Don't, I won't do any kazumba this evening. You're safe. But um, the, my point is that there was a whole rich tapestry of social connections and culture there that I hadn't even given much thought to, if I'm being absolutely honest. Um, and that was very uh, impactful to me because it changed my view of of my work um, and gave me some more, uh, a bit more of a sense of myself and my own place in, in that context. Um, towards the end of my time there, I also had a very interesting experience with um, handing over uh, um, uh, a big pharmaceutical stores. Um, it was a big drugstore and a big pharmacy, and it was probably had about fifty, sixty thousand dollars worth of very rare drugs in um, in the stores. And I was uh, tasked with this quite technical challenge of handing it over to the Ministry of Health, who are picking up um, this task, uh, picking up the ownership of the hospital and of the drugstore. <laughs> it's the strobe effect in here at the moment. Uh, adds to the drama. Um, but yeah, the, uh, um, it, the project went quite well, I felt. It was very similar to things that I'd done as an engineer previously. We trained people up. We did the, the paperwork. 
Um, I did the computer system. Um, I had people working for me there who kind of trained people as well. And it was a big effort. And th eventually there was a kind of celebration in the town and handing over and pictures and all that good stuff. And then by the next morning, about half the stock had gone after the handover. Um, and within 48 hours, every last pill pack in there had gone. Um, it wasn't my drugstore at that point. We'd handed it over to the Ministry of Health and to the people that we trained, but there was no break-in. There was no kind of, you know, actual uh, overnight theft. It was a very organized, planned thing that had obviously happened concurrent with my efforts to hand it over. Um, so uh, that was quite devastating to me. And when I phoned up my boss in, in Luanda, the kind of traditional French kind of uh, sense, she was like, boof, like these things happen. Um, but for me, it was, a, it was pretty devastating. And so I thought I'd better learn a little bit more about context and about culture, because when I came to reflect on it, I thought, well, we're handing over $50,000, $60,000 worth of extremely rare drugs in this particular era, area where lots of people need them without a lot of faith um, in the institutions to use those drugs well. At the same time, we were handing over our contracts of people who may not then get any kind of pay from the Ministry of Health. And so they were being asked to look after this really expensive set of drugs that they probably felt were going to be squandered anyway by someone else if they didn't then take them. So um, the idea that we would hand them over as an NGO working there and hope that they would be used in some altruistic way and the way that MSF would like according to their uh, high ideals was kind of absurd for that setting and that place and that time. It was a high aim, but, um, and there's nothing wrong with high aims, but be practical about what you're doing and think about the, the likely outcomes of, of your actions. That, so that was one of my first real lessons along this way. And then luckily, uh, very luckily, I, I, um, I, I joined the masters that was uh, aforementioned, this young, uh, young fellow here, I barely recognize him. But yeah, he, um, uh, the, I was very lucky to get on that course. I was an engineer and it was a social science masters. And I went for a, a drink with Dave Anderson a couple of years ago, who'd kind of, you know, allowed me to be on that course. And, uh, and I asked how the course was going, and he talked about all the rich talent. There may be people on that course here tonight. It's a very hard course to get on, and congratulations to, to anyone that's on it this year, because he said to me, you would never, ever get on that course <laughs> anymore. It's, uh, the, the standards went r right up. But for me, it was a really kind of pivotal moment, and I'm immensely grateful to, to the people that did um, take a bit of a gamble on me and, and did spend time to help me, help me learn. Um, one of the first hard lessons I had uh, was kind of about um, uh, the colonial period in Africa and about how a, a sequence, a, a whole series of, of young officers, young men, often Scottish actually, uh, would go out to Africa to try and build a reputation for themselves. That this is a wonderful uh, backdrop, a kind of perilous, natural, heart of darkness kind of backdrop on which to paint yourself as a savior and as a pioneer and, these, and a, an adventurer. And uh, it was a bit of a... <laughs> bitter pill to swallow because as of course they explained this to me I recognized this guy in the boat and and his aspirations and why he might be there um, and thought that uh, and it gave me pause to think about what my own place was on these projects and what I was aiming to do um, was I there for for, for myself or, or for the people around me and that that beginning of, of a kind of some kind of re reflexivity in the challenges that we take on in healthcare was um, really extremely important to me but so too was um, some of the theory that came up. And it's funny that I chose these two to talk about because I don't really love either of them. But um, you don't have to love the theory that, uh, that helps you learn necessarily. Um, but Africa Works, I kind of stole the title from, from, from this book. Um, and with the notion being that things that we see as, as being kind of um, 
corrupt, and Rob Tell will talk about how that's a fairly um, blunt and useless term a lot of the time, um, or at least disorderly and, and chaotic, perhaps serve some ends. Um, and, uh, you know, extending from that, and perhaps in a more helpful way, uh, in any kind of status quo situation where you've got a complex set of arrangements and cultural uh, norms that, you don't, that are um, unfamiliar to you, there's probably somebody who gains and somebody who benefits from the way things are. And learning that and accepting that and thinking that any situation that, that you're in, you probably need to unpack that if you're to do some technical job within it was a really, really core moment for me. But also the, these are guys on, the, on your right um, or the Corma officer, kind of a husband and wife team, um, and they write a lot about, well, did write a lot about um, Afro-modernity in the sense that um, the, the end point or the, what Africans are pursuing and what, um, what people in Africa would like to achieve is not necessarily some kind of, um, uh, has anything to do with the modernity that we have in, in the UK or in Europe. It probably does, but you can't expect that. You can't assume that. And so these were really useful lessons for me in, um, in the work that I went on to do. Um, fast forward again a good few years and I'm working for um, uh, the Oxford Health Systems Collaboration, a group based in the tropical medicine department here um, and with a, a pediatrician called Mike English. Um, Mike isn't here this evening so I, can, um, he, I don't have to worry about him blushing but he's an amazing guy um, and a really hard worker and has worked, worked for about 25 years in pediatrics in Kenya. And he knew a lot about um, neonatal wards in Nairobi. Um, and he explained to me that, that there were enormous ratios of babies to individual nurses working in newborn units in Nairobi. And so um, a single nurse, uh, according to, to the WHO recommendations, should deal with a maximum of four children. But in the night shifts that we observed, we sometimes saw one nurse to 40 children. Um, and so you can imagine the quality of nursing that happens under that kind of, uh, that those kind of ratios isn't very high. And it results in the numbers you see it in the kind of really sad statistics that come out of those wards. Um, so his idea was to, to look at this idea called task shifting, where you would have uh, a new cadre of staff. Um, we have them in the UK. They're called healthcare assistants, and they're kind of like a, a, a lower level nurse who could do some very simple but very effective things for these babies, such as keeping them warm and fed and clean and those kinds of things. And so his idea was to, to see whether or not this would be a good idea. Now in healthcare, um, in, in this kind of area, global health, uh, the, the way that you would have traditionally done this is just to try it. <laughs> you'd have taken your idea whole, you'd have done it in one situation and not done it in another and measured the outcomes of both and then decided whether or not it was a good idea based on that. But that hasn't really worked because in these complex health systems that have cultural elements and social elements and politics and economics, you can't, you can't make those assumptions that, that, that every, everywhere you test the idea will be the same. And so um, our idea was not just to drop in this external idea and see whether or not it works, but rather to study the context for a good couple of years beforehand, try and learn as much as we could and then rethink about this, this project and, and think about whether or not it is a good idea and make changes to the project and to this new position such that it's got a better chance of succeeding. So that's what we did. And I'm happy to say the, um, uh, the paper for, that we wrote, there's a few papers published already on this, but um, that we won in social science and medicine that was just accepted. So um, anyone that's really interested, I can, I can share that with them, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, that, that, that way of approaching the project was entirely new and I don't think um, I would have been able to understand it in the way that I did had I not been on this journey from, from before. 
Um, the last thing I want to share with you is, uh, is pretty much my favorite project I've ever worked on. Um, it's, uh, it's a smartphone app that works a little bit like TripAdvisor and helps people in Kenya find um, laboratory services. So the idea is that they, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, in a lot of public hospitals in Kenya and elsewhere, we're learning, uh, when they go to get uh, a, a medical lab test done, they uh, often the, the, the test they need is not available. And so they're sent out into the private sector. And the private sector is kind of parasitic on um, uh, public hospitals in Kenya. And they don't do a very good job. They don't really prioritize quality, turnaround time, price. In classical economics terms, this is very asymmetric, the, the, the relationship between the patients and the providers. And so the market is very failed. It's, it's kind of broken. Um, so the idea is that by sharing some of this information to patients, uh, that they would be able to make better choices, more rational choices, and that in turn, this would condition the market. So this was the original idea, but you know, having the experience I had, I didn't have to, we didn't stick to this too strongly. And um, on my first few trips, kind of you know, doing some interviewing, trying to find out what I could on the street, um, we realized that this perhaps wouldn't work very well. Um, there was a, but also on the flip side, that there was a very strong regulator in Kenya. Um, now I say strong regulator, they don't actually have a budget. The Ministry of Health gives them no money, um, but they do, they are competent. They know, really know their job very well. And so um, unfortunately they have to generate all of the funds that they need to survive and to do their quality checking of medical labs from uh, licensing. And so inevitably their efforts go mostly into the licensing job and not into the quality side. And so it started to kind of form in my head, well, could we do something with these guys and help them recover their licenses? And then uh, similarly, they may help to regulate the market more. And so what was one platform um, and one app has become three different elements. Uh, the app that helps clinicians and patients um, find better labs and find better prices, quality, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes just for availability, because if you've got TB and you need a, um, a PCR back diagnosis, you may walk for many miles and not be able to get uh, what you need and be mistaken in, in traveling to a particular hospital where they don't have it. So just, it, it does work for different kinds of conditions. Um, but uh, we also have these second and third elements now. One, which is a, a, a dashboard for the regulator that helps them understand what's going on. Um, to be to flag up labs that are underperforming and get getting bad results um, but also to recover some of their license fees and finally a portal for the for the labs and I, again I don't think we would have been able to have done this had I not have had the experience to design the project in the way that we did and so I did, yeah I'm going to open it up for questioning soon because it's probably a, a better way to do this kind of format but um, three things for me to take away about my um, from my learnings uh, so far in working in healthcare in Africa and that's first reflexivity, um, that, that kind of understanding our own place in, in these contexts um, and understanding that you, as much as you think you know, there's, no, there's really no substitute for, for doing work on the ground, spending time speaking to the people who, who live and work in, in the conditions that you're hoping to change. Um, number two, uh, context is not something that gets in the way of your otherwise perfect project. Context isn't something that stops you doing your job perfectly. It's the means by which you make your project work. And as soon as you start understanding that and working with context in that way, you've got such a better chance. You can't try and push out context and, and design your, your trials and so on such that they're perfect. That's helping no one. As soon as they go out into the real world, they'll fall over. And there's a million global health interventions that have went that way. 
Um, and then third, um, design the projects so that you've got a chance to explore these things. If you don't, uh, if you don't set up your project with and help educate the donor a lot of the time, that you need to do the ground work, that you need to spend time on the ground learning before you dig into you know, measurable results and um, big change programs and all these things they want. It's just going to be another failed project. So those are my three points. Um, thank you very much for listening to me. And um, I think, do I open it up for questions or? Yes. Yeah. <laughs>